What a great morning it's been already here at Taylor's First Baptist Church. If you are one of our guests, welcome. Welcome to all of you who perhaps are here for the very first time and we are grateful that you have joined us in worship. For those of you over in the modern service there in the fellowship hall, welcome. Welcome to our worship time as well. We worship in two rooms at the second hour. And so we come together for the teaching and the preaching of the word of God this morning. It's good to see you, family of faith. And thank you for uh, those candidates who are baptized. May the Lord just bless you richly. And baptism does not save but baptism declares what Jesus has already done. And so what a great declaration of the gospel. A friend of mine called it the gospel in drama. And so what a beautiful, beautiful, dramatic picture, the theater of the gospel. And so thank you for your uh, courage in that today. James chapter 4 is where we are, and I just want to bring you up to speed with our sermon series. For those of, uh, for those of us in both of rooms, as we worship together, we have been walking through our vision and our values. And we just finished that up with a wonderful time at the, around the Lord's Supper yet, uh, last Sunday. But now we're going to finish James chapter 4 and James chapter 5. There's no way we're going to leave that undone. And so we pick up with where we left off in this incredible book. It's a small book. It's only five chapters, but it's a powerful book because it speaks so directly to many things that are happening in our lives and in the church. And in particular, where we find ourselves this week, where we pick the action back up in this letter, is that we find the church or churches, if you will, that James is writing to, they are broken. They are fractured. They are hurting. They are fighting. They are quarreling, as it says in chapter 4, verse 1. And these churches that James is writing to, they're not church, a church like this per se that gathers in one large group in two rooms at one time. Instead, probably who James is writing to are clusters, communities, small house churches where Jewish people have come to faith in Jesus, are followers of Jesus, and now they're gathering together to worship, and they're gathering together to walk through life together, but they're running into some problems. And here's the thing. The problems that they experience are the same problems you and I experience. The same struggles and the same conflicts that they have are the same struggles and the same conflicts you and I have. The same sins that are, seem to be plaguing this church are the same sins that plague our church. The same sins that they strain against in their relationships are the same things that I struggle in my relationships. And so regardless of how old, 2,000 years ago, this letter is to the church, because it is the word of God, it has very much relevance to you and me today and in particular today we come to a section where the church is broken it's fighting there, there's something going on maybe within the house churches maybe among one house church and another house church over here in town maybe some are, are Jewish believers and there's some Gentile believers that are creeping in and there's some fighting going on we, we don't know Maybe the, the lure or the pull of materialism, as we've seen and will see later on, is pulling these believers away. 
Maybe because they're Jewish and they're being persecuted for their faith and some aren't persecuted and some are. There's, there's this back and forth going on. But James wants to hit this head on and he does so in chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And I give you all of that backdrop to lead us to where we are today so that we begin to see ourselves as people who in our community, in our church, in your home, in your relationships, there might be conflict, there might be brokenness, there might be division. And if you're a walking, breathing human being, and if you walked in here, you are, you probably have had conflict, you probably have had struggles in your relationships, and if you haven't, you will. So this is a word from James as we pick it back up to the church and to us in our relationships about conflict, about brokenness, about division in the body, in our homes, in our marriages. If you want proof to see how difficult this had become for the believers, James chapter 4 this morning, if you're new to Bible study, it's in the New Testament. I'm sorry, I should have said that. If you're new to Bible study, it's in the New Testament. There's a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. You can also use your digital device, however you want to find James chapter 4. Read with us verses 1 through 10. Now, uh, we're, we're not going to make it all the way through verses 1 through 10 this morning. We're, we're going to really divide into two sermons this week and next week. There's no way we can do it. But what we want to see here is understanding the perspective that James gives the churches about humility in the middle of conflict. Here's what he says, verse 1. What causes these quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Verse 6. But he gives more grace. Amen. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. What a strong paragraph. And I think you have a taste there of what, it, of what this community and what these relationships are going through. You know, I sent out this week, and our team did on social media, a sermon that Barrett Johnson preached just before 
we broke, or rather it's two weeks before we broke, but dealing with this passage in James chapter 3 about wisdom and spilling over into the beginning of James chapter 4, and I listened to it again this week, and it was a powerful sermon because Barrett, and, and through the Holy Spirit, I believe, gave us tests for whether or not we are responding in wisdom in the middle of conflict, in the middle of struggle. Are, are we gentle? In chap- at the end of chapter 3 and into chapter 4, the, he, these are the marks of, of spiritual wisdom. Are, are we gentle with others when we enter into conflict? Or are we abrasive? Are we impatient? Are we angry? Or are we gentle? James says, followers of Jesus in the second tenth, test, are, are you selfish? Do you see your desires in your marriage with your children in this church, do you see your desires coming before the desires of those God has given you as your husband or as your wife or as your children or as your fellow worshipers here? The third test, do you have the right motives? What are your, your motives for pursuing the things that you pursue? And so these readers have failed this test because James says you are spiritually adulterous. You're like a cheating wife or a cheating husband on a spouse. And just as that spouse longs for that husband or for that wife to return to them, and it hurts them deeply. If you've been cheated on before, you know the hurt, you know the pain of someone whose mind and heart is just pursuing and longing and moving towards someone else away from you. And so in verse 4 and 5 there, when James says, you want to know what the Father feels like? He's put the Spirit within you, and when he sees you moving away from him, when he sees you not gentle, when he sees you selfish and ambitious and jealous for your own agenda, when he sees you with motives that are really wrapped around your own heart versus other people, when he sees that and you, you're broken in your fellowship with the Father and with other people, the Spirit yearns, he longs to see you come back to him and return to him. That's what it means when he says the Spirit, the Spirit that God has put in us. The Father longs to see you singularly devoted to him. He is a jealous God, as it says in the scriptures. That's why James uses this word, you're adulterous. You're moving in your own way. And because of that, because of that, you've broken relationship with God vertically, and you've broken your relationship with other people horizontally. And it's a mess. It's a mess, he says. Verse 1, quarrels, fights. You're at war with one another. Verse 13 and 14, there's bitter jealousies. There's selfish agendas in play. And he says, there's a different way. There's a different way. There's a different way to walk as a follower of Jesus. There's a different way to walk as a church. There's a different way to walk in your marriage. And it must come through God's grace and God's wisdom. And here's what's so beautiful about this passage that seems so heavy. It seems so difficult to hear because we kind of see our hearts in the, in the lives of these other believers. We kind of sense that. But here's what's so beautiful about all of this. And it's found in verse 6 with five 
simple words that might be the most beautiful words that you will hear today, regardless of whether you're a follower of Jesus or you are a follower of Jesus and you are at war, you're in conflict, you're in disagreement, you're unreconciled, whatever it is, these are the most beautiful five words you might hear this morning, and that is this, but he gives more grace. He gives more grace. That word more there. He gives grace that goes above and beyond in order to meet the needs of your heart. Because here's the problem. Our hearts, when they're unrestrained and when our hearts just move at their own will, we're going to pursue, like an adulteress, like an adulterer, we're going to pursue other things. And if our hearts just are let go, God knows this. And so he says, you need grace. Your heart cannot do it on its own. You need divine help to come down into your heart to flood it. And you need help. And I'm ready to give you grace. I am ready to to bring repentance to your life. I'm ready to bring forgiveness. I'm ready to bring mercy. I'm ready to bring reconciliation. All of these things. I'm ready to bring grace from heaven for your heart. But here's the thing. You've got to be ready to receive it. Because in the very next verse, it says what? Therefore, therefore, he's ready to give more grace to you. But therefore, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to whom? The humble. Here's the major thought for this morning. Is this, that humility brings submission to God and opens the door of grace. This is what we want to look at this morning. Humility brings submission to God. It moves us underneath him according to his will, according to his ways, and it then opens our heart for grace to come flooding in, a grace that can take our hearts, grace that can begin to move us back to the Father, and then in reconciliation with other people. Now, here's why grace is hard. and Here's why humility is hard. And here is why pr- being proud is hard. Here's a couple of definitions that I want to work off, and then some obstacles to humility and grace, and then one final word on submission, and we're done, all right? couple of definitions. What is pride? I love this definition of pride that someone uh, wrote in my study time, pulled this out. Selfishness and self-sufficiency and self-deception wrapped up in arrogance equals pride. Did you get that? Let me say it again. Three components. Selfishness. I want to get my own way. I want to get my own way at home. I want to get my own way in church. I want to get my own way with my children. Selfishness, self-sufficiency, I can do it, I'm going to do it. And then self-deception. We don't see how blind we really are. We, we don't see how, how blind we are in our own ways, and it's wrapped up in arrogance. And arrogance can be, arrogance can be, Loud and arrogance can be boisterous, but arrogance can also be quiet and stubborn. Those equal pride. And and this characterizes our life. This characterizes the sin that's inside of us. This characterizes who we are in our relationships with God and other people. Selfishness, self-sufficiency, and self-deception. Those three things. That's who we are. 
On the other hand, humility is this. So Proverbs chapter 3, the quote that James uses, therefore God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So God resists the person that is selfish. God resists and opposes the person who is uh, self-sufficient. God opposes the person who deceives themselves and is errant. God resists that. All throughout Scripture, you see this. Old and New Testament, God is going to push against God is going to oppose. God is going to keep down. At the end of time, God is going to have his final way with those who are proud. On the other hand, this is who God lifts up, one who is humble. One writer said this. This is what humility is, one who recognizes that they are spiritually poor. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in what? In spirit. Happy are they, content are they. Humility is where you recognize my spiritual poverty. I don't have it all together. I, I, I don't, I'm not as, I, I, I'm, I'm not as good as I think I am. I'm not blind to my own sin. I'm spiritually poor. That leads to a desperation for God, for his help. I desperately need him. Ever been there before? where you have nothing left and you are entirely desperate for God. It's a place of humility. You might think this is a place where I just, I just feel I am so lowly and I feel so, it, your self-esteem is down in the carpet. But you know what? The place of spiritual poverty, the place of dependency upon God is a place of humility and that is the place where God lifts up. Spiritual poverty, dependency, and then submission to God. God, I, I, I will yield I'll get to the place where, where I will yield. Now, pride on one side, humility on, on the other side. Here, here is why we struggle with this tension of, of pride and humility. Let, let me give you two, two thoughts on why we struggle with this. We struggle as human beings. We're prideful because, number one, we're stubborn. We're rigid. Here, here, here is how we think that my way is the right way. My way is the only way. There can be no other way. What I see in front of me is all I know, and that's all there is. There's no way that my wife, there's no way that my kids, there's no way that other church members can be right. There is no other way. There's a sense that the wisdom that I have is the wisdom that I need, and, and it's all that I need. And there's this self-sufficiency in what I know and what I think. And here is where humility comes into play because humility is not rigid. Humility does not say that, there, that what I see and what I know is all there is. Humility is soft. Humility is pliable. Humility in a heart, you can see it in people, where there's a sensitivity to other people and how they think. I'm guilty of this. You're guilty of this. We're all guilty of this because we're self-centered. When we say there could be no other way, do you want your wife to pass out this afternoon, men on the floor, just simply utter this phrase, you were right, I was wrong. Try that out, all right? There's this sense when husbands and wives come together or children come together or church members come to one another 
and simply say, I didn't know everything. I was arrogant. I was wrong. And humility is not rigid. Pride is because humility says that there is wisdom beyond me. That there is wisdom outside of me because the Holy Spirit and the Father have all wisdom. And so I'm no longer going to be prideful in my relationships because I'm going to draw upon the wisdom that could be outside of me and I'm going to be humble. Humility is not rigid because there's wisdom outside. But humility is also not timid. Humility is not timid. Here's the other problem in the tension between pride and, and, and humility is fear. We, we, we paralyze ourselves. We're, we're fearful of change or we're fearful of stepping out or we're fearful of what's going to happen. And so, therefore, you know people like this, they don't want to change. They, they don't want to try things. They don't want to move out. You, you, ever, you ever with someone, I was with my parents last night for dinner. My dad just turned 80 years old um, today. Today's his birthday. And um, so we were eating, and, and I love my dad. Even at 80 years old, he, he's always asking, telling my mom, hey, don't you want to try something new? <laughs> he's always saying, hey, you want, you want to try? So last night we were eating, hey, don't you want to try something? And, and my mom, she, you know, I love her to death, love her, love her dearly, sweet, sweet lady, but she's just not going to try new things, right? There's a sense in some of you when it comes to pride, and it's not arrogant, and it's not boisterous, and it's not loud, but instead there's a sense in some of you, some of us, I can be this way too, where you're just going to hunker down, you're going to settle in, and you're not going to go. Why? Because you're fearful, you're afraid, and you're paralyzed. You don't want to move. And folks, humility is bold. Humility is not this timid, meek, I can't do anything. Humility is both soft and bold because humility says there is a power outside of me that will care for me and work on behalf of me if I trust that power. And so therefore, I can be bold. I don't have to be fearful because I'm trusting in a power Outside of me. Let me give you an example of, uh, of this tension. On Wednesday nights over the last few weeks, I've been teaching through conflict, resolving everyday conflict. Great study. Thank you for those of you who walked with me in that. And I, I told this story about this tension and conflict when it comes to, to asking for forgiveness or reconciling with other people or simply yielding, yielding to the work of God in you to not be so proud, not to be so rigid, not to be so fearful but to step into whatever God asks you to do. And I'm praying for some of you right now that, that you are beginning to see a relationship. You're beginning to see a face. You're beginning to see someone or something that has happened where, where God, the Holy Spirit is going to call you to step into with great faith, depending upon him, to bring about healing and restoration. Here, here's the story. My daughter and my family, we were all at the beach and she was riding her, her bike, and we get to this little passageway, and it's very, very narrow. And there's a fence on one side. There's a brick wall on the other side. 
And you know how you get when you come to these little narrow passageways. You start riding and you get, what, a little bit nervous that you don't want to move one way or the other. And she fell. And she scraped up her hands. Later on that day, I wasn't with her at the time. Later on that day when she showed me her hands, I was like, <gasps> what'd you do? You know? I thought she broke her finger. She broke your finger. I mean, it was just awful. It looked ugly. It was a mess, scabby and red and all of that. I said, sweetheart, you all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're at the beach. And I said, you know what you need to do? You know what you need to do? There's the salt water. You need to put them in the ocean because that water heals. Now, she has two choices. She could go, Dad, Dad, um, I don't believe you. I, I don't believe what you're saying. She could be rigid. She could just say, you know what? No way. Not going to do it because I don't believe it. That salt water stuff, it's a hoax. It's all a hoax. There's no way that works. Never heard of it. Not going to think about it. I'm not going to do it. Could be stubborn. I'm going to sit here with my bloodied hands. I'm going to try something else. I'm going to do it my own way. Or I'm just going to survive. I'm just going to keep going. I'm not going to do anything about it. Take your pick, right? Or she could have said, Daddy, that's going to hurt. <laughs> that's going to sting. And, and, it, and it did. But what does she do? Humility kicks in with a submission to a father's plan. She says, okay. She puts her hands in the water. It doesn't heal overnight, does it? No. Nope. Um, but over time, over time, they begin to heal. And this is what humility does for us. If God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, what we have to do is look stubbornness or fear in the face and say that's prideful and step into humility and to submit. Now, now here's the last point this morning. Submit to God, he says. This, this is going to set us up for next week. He says in verse 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. The word submit, it's a military term. They would use it of those Roman centurions, those Roman soldiers, and they'd have these military troops in front of them, and the commander would say something, and the military troop would voluntarily fall in line. Whenever you see that word submission there, that means a voluntary submission underneath the leadership or the command or the authority, a voluntary submission to somebody else's in their direction and their leading. And so James says, here's what humility is going to do. Humility is going to open your heart to the wisdom and to the power of God, something outside of you, and the grace of God is going to come in. And when the grace of God begins to work in your life, I'm going to ask you, the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to ask you to submit to whatever it is that you are underneath because it is in that change, it is in that hardship, it is in that testing, James chapter 1. It is in those times where you're challenged, it is in that situation, it's in that relationship as God is working that I'm asking you not necessarily to submit to them, maybe that's the case, but I'm asking you first and foremost to submit to me. That there can be no horizontal reconciliation without vertical restoration. Did you get that? There can be no horizontal peace without you coming underneath God and what he is asking you to do. I love this example. I saw it yesterday as I was watching the coverage of Muhammad Ali. You see where he passed away at the age of 74. This incredibly vibrant, 
powerful human being. I mean, just not physically with the way he could punch, but just his influence and his life. But in uh, but it was uh, later on in his life, I forget what age it was, he, he develops Parkinson's disease, and this is what would take his life. And you began to see a different Muhammad Ali than the pictures of him, of, of a young fighter who was singing and who was all these incredible poems. God was a poet. I mean, he was amazing. He all these poems and just this life and this energy was totally different. When I was working in Washington, D.C., we heard that Muhammad Ali was downstairs one day. This is back in the 90s. We heard he was in our office building, so we, we, we went downstairs. I'll never forget it. And um, what we saw was not a man who was energetic and vibrant and, and who was saying stuff. You know, you kind of have this vision of people following him, and he's, 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 you know, full of life and speaking to people. What you saw was a man who didn't say a single word that I could remember, whose hands shook, I remember that, and who would reach or one of his assistants would give him a, a, a card and he would either hand you a card with, with those hands or he would do, a, he would do some magic trick, a little magic trick and make, make us laugh. And I've never forgotten that picture. And I saw the news yesterday, the footage of Muhammad Ali. I thought, this is an incredible picture not of someone who is weak. Not as someone who is limited. But what I see is someone who is experiencing and showing great grace under the strain of what he is underneath. That's a powerful, powerful story. Whatever it is that you might be going through, as we walk through James through the next couple of weeks and as we see next week, what is this pathway we're to walk down when it comes to generating and living by authentic humility? Let me just say this, that God has perhaps put you underneath something to demonstrate his great grace in you. One writer said that sometimes failing and sometimes falling is a way of God bringing you back to friendship with him. So I pray this morning that you see God's working in you as a mark of his grace. That if you receive it well, then you can continue to walk the path that Jesus walked. You see, when Jesus came, there was no one who was greater. There was no one who was mightier. Jesus is the one who, with his very words, spoke the world into existence. Jesus is the one who left heaven and all of heaven and humbled himself under the Father's plan. He submitted himself but exhibited incredible grace by giving his life on a cross for your sin and my sin. There is no greater picture of grace than in Jesus and the cross. And so for some of you this morning, the question is not, 
What is it that I'm walking and following after Jesus with and the, the weight that's underneath and how do, I, how do I deal with that? For some of you, you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus. You're not walking, you, you, you don't know what that means. You don't know what it means to be a part of the family of faith. And here is my gracious word to you. That Jesus has come and humbled himself for your life. That Jesus has come and humbled himself so that you could know him. That you could follow him and be forgiven and cleansed. And like the people, those six individuals that we baptized there, there's a story of amazing grace in you. How will you respond this morning? How will you respond to the call for humility? How will you respond to Christ? Praise God for his word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the one who defeated death and sin. And where we started at the beginning of our sermon with a community that is so torn apart by sin and by conflict, we end with the one who stepped into that conflict and gave his life for us. So with that great grace given for sinners like me and for sinners like us, we say thank you. And we ask that you continue to give us the grace even in our continuing sin, even though we are imperfect, even though we wander away, Father, you give more grace. And so we open our hearts humbly this morning. Some may be for the very first time, but for all of us, Lord, you are the potter, we are the clay. Do an amazing work in this place as we leave. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.